Hey, what's up? Today we are going to be talking about my music career. We're going to talk about the things that I've done good and the things that I definitely could have done better. And this is a really important conversation to have, not only for myself, but also uh, for the listeners. If you're in a band, uh, you definitely should try to learn from everyone else around you. And I want to put it out there so that you guys can, uh, you know, take advantage of the things that I've done properly, but also take advantage of the things that I did not do properly. And so before we get into this episode, what would really, really help me out is whatever platform you're listening to this on, be it Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, if you can get on there and leave a five-star review, just go to the page for the podcast, leave a five-star review if you enjoy the podcast. That is the biggest help possible for the podcast reaching new people on the platform itself. And so really it would be massive if you could go on there and leave a five-star review if you do like the podcast. And it just will really help open this up to a bunch of people that um, might not know the Browning or know me previously. And uh, I would really appreciate that. But let's get into the good and the bad of my career and the things that I'm proud of and the things that I regret. And so this is Johnny McBee and you're listening to the Burnless World Podcast. So let's get into it. And uh, I I would normally probably start this on something good, but I'm going to get like the most obvious one out of the way, the bad. And we're going to go back and forth between good and bad. But let's start with an obvious one. It's a bad thing. And it's honestly the biggest regret of my life is this very first one. And that is the name The Browning. It seems so obvious that a lot of people might think, really, that's the biggest regret of your life. But really, it is. Um, One, I don't do things that I don't regret normally. (laughs) That's a a motto I live by. Don't do things I have to say sorry for. Don't do things that I'm going to regret later. Um, But this totally did not expect it. Totally did not think that when I'm 32 years old, 12 years in my career, I'd be like, man, I really should have not used that band name. I don't really get it as much as I did originally, um, but the freaking poop jokes about the band name. I don't, I don't get it. i whenever I hear the word Brown, I don't think about poop. <laughs> I did. I, maybe people did way back in the day because our fan base was a lot younger and where whenever I very first started, it was more like, you know, 15 to 22 year old fan base. And now it's more so, like 28 to 35 is the standard fan base. So I don't really hear stuff about the name that much anymore. Besides if we're like announcing a tour and some random person's like, what the poop band, what, you know? (laughs) And so it is a huge regret for a few reasons though. Um, One, one reason is I felt the music industry did not take us seriously, no matter how, um, no matter how big we got or how many uh, people we would draw live or how well our albums would do early on. And now the, now the industry takes us seriously because we do some serious numbers, but early on everyone thought it was a joke band. Right. And that's not a good state to be when you're a brand new band trying to get on tours 
No one wants to have, okay, not no one. A lot of people don't want to have a joke band, especially considering that the Browning is a very serious band. So it's like some people thought it was a joke name, but with very serious content. And so it was like, what? And again, just the band name doesn't mean anything. I started this when I was 14 as a, as a MySpace project that it was the name of the street that my high school was on. And so there's no meaning to it. Just whenever I made it a full band, I was like, Hey, should I change the name? And I was like, but it's it's a weird sound. And the Browning is a unique name. So with a unique sound, I wanted a unique name, but I could have done that without the word Brown <laughs> in hindsight, 2020. Um, I, I don't know what I would have named it. Maybe something kind of techie, kind of sci-fi-y, but um, yeah, definitely not only just from the perspective of people taking the name as a joke, um, but also merchandise. There's a lot of bands that have some really cool names like, say, Suicide Silence. Even if someone doesn't know who Suicide Silence is, they will wear a shirt that says Suicide Silence on it with the logo just because they're like, whoa, that's metal. That's awesome. That's a cool word, you know? And like the Browning, I can't just put the Browning on a shirt and someone be like, whoa, I don't even know the music, but the Browning, that's a really cool word. That does not happen. So merchandise was like tough. Um, like even if I had the sickest shirt design possible and if it said the Browning really big at the top, there'd be a bunch of people be like, I would wear that, but not with it's saying that at the top, you know, unless people were big fans or didn't even think about it. Like I didn't think about it. Um, you know, it, it just felt like a big detriment to the merchandise aspect in general. Like I, I started even for a while, I was doing these shirt designs that had like these huge big shirt designs and I would put like the Browning really small at the bottom. I even had some shirt designs where I put TB on it rather than the band name, not even on it. And, you know, fans would be like, well, where's the name? But I felt like people that weren't necessarily fans, which we are trying to appeal to people that aren't like direct fans. Um, like I felt like they would want to wear that shirt more. Um, but I think either way, it just it just hurt merch because we didn't have a sellable name on like a T-shirt or a hat or whatever. So like the Brownings never had a hat that had the name on it. We just had a hat that had like a, a B logo and I don't know that that is a huge thing. And then also bands also not taking the name seriously. It wasn't just industry. It was some bands like we were on tour with uh, for the fallen dreams and they didn't say anything about our name, but they were talking to me about a tour that they were offered. That was with we butter the bread with butter. And the thing is we butter the bread with butter is huge in Europe and they got offered uh, they offered for the fallen dreams to open for them. And the dude from for the fallen dreams said, I'm not going to open for a band with a name like that. It's like, and I said to him, so, but they're huge. He said, so, <laughs> so see, I mean, that directly shows the, the impact of having a name that could be deemed as silly, you know? And I had a multiple times the, the career where I was talking to managers or whoever, uh, band members or just myself of like, man, should we change the name? But at all times, it felt like it was too late. It felt too established. Um, I don't think that that's necessarily the case. I feel like if I would have changed the name early on, like even after Burn This World, I think that I've, everything would have been the exact same. 
probably. Maybe not, though. That's the thing. It's like, maybe not. Maybe my thoughts when I was making this a full band was actually right. My thought was like, well, whether people like the name or not, they're going to read it twice on the flyer because it's weird. Like, that is true. If if a tour announced with like announces with like five bands on it, someone on there is talking about the name and they're reading through it and they see the name and they read it twice and they comment about it being silly. But then they see us live and we do good. So I don't know. Maybe it wouldn't be as good because the name would be normal and blend in with everything. But I just I really do think that maybe if it had a better name, I could have had better branding. I could have got better visuals. I could have. I feel like it did hold me back. I feel like that's kind of inarguable. But then again, I'm arguing with myself and say, well, maybe it was beneficial because it was weird. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I forever go back and forth about it. And even um, like heading into the third album, whenever we switched labels for the first time, I was like, well, what if with the label switch, we also changed the name and I just have it relative to the brownie. Like, what if it's called like Hypernova or something? The name of the second album. What if it's named after a song? So it's like relative to the band and all this and ended up not doing it. it just it never felt like it would actually be worth it we'd have to restart with like building a brand so yeah the name that's number one regret and <laughs> i didn't expect to talk about it for that long but it's hard not to and if so i don't know if you're a band and you're really wanting to have a name that stands out it's really hard to do because you do want a name that stands out i i've been listening to a lot of bands on the song review podcasts and they'll have something very generic. I'll like type it in to Spotify and like freaking 50 things pop up. I can't find their band. Or I can't find them on Facebook. So you got to have something unique. But like it's it's very difficult. <laughs> I've had other projects that I really want to do. And I've been so hard focused on having a cool name. And it's so hard to come up with something that's cool and unique. That's not silly or freaking corny. So good luck. <laughs> it's difficult, man. Um, but it, it really is such an important aspect. It's more than just your name. It's also a brand. It's a merchandise thing. It's a it's everything it has to flow off the tongue. It has to be rememberable. All of it. So definitely a band name should be a huge focus because it's it's what your whole brand is. And so, yeah, let's get into the first good thing of the episode now and this kind of ties into the name uh really stick into my guns there and that is also that this entire time i have stayed 100 percent true to the sound my goal when i started the browning was to have the most electronic sounding metal band and also to be the heaviest band with electronics uh i Again, I started this when I was very young. I was 14. I was very into metal and I was very into DDR and technically uh, FFR, Flash Flash Revolution uh, and Step Mania, ones that you played on computer. And so I loved dance music and I loved heavy metal. I wanted to put the heaviest dance music with the heaviest metal and combine it together. And so it uh, the sound has 100% stayed that way. My goal was to have it to where electronics were happening 100% of the time. There's not a time in the music that there isn't some form of an electronic happening. Now, one thing as I got 
later into the career, the past two albums, really, I've done this a couple times where if I go like do a big, huge electronic build and all this and it hits into a breakdown that does has very little amount of electronics, then it hits really hard and really stands out like in the middle of Fearless, the big breakdown in the middle of the, of the song Fearless. It, br- it hits into a breakdown and there's no electronics for a second, but then they get brought back in. But still, um, I still think to this day, there's no other band that has as much electronics as the Browning and is as heavy as the Browning. Now, whenever I first started, I also was refusing to even think about having clean vocals. And so I guess that's one thing I've, I haven't stayed true to. I, I always said, I will never sing. The Browns can be heavy, screams the whole time. And because I loved stuff like uh, Arch Enemy that they had choruses, but it was all screamed. So I was like, I can do the same thing with the Browning. Now, obviously, the Browning has a good amount of clean singing in it now, but I just think that was an evolution thing. Uh, Probably the reason I said that early on was because at the time I couldn't sing. (laughs) Now I can halfway sing, so now I'm doing a decent amount of clean singing. But really, uh, I've had a few moments where in the career where I was like, yeah, let's try to write a radio song. Right. And every single time I'm like, no, I'm going to I'm going to stay true. Now, we did try one Browning style radio song. It was on Geist. It was um, Final Breath. And it didn't really go over like it has. It has a lot of listens on Spotify and stuff. But that was because it was pushed as a single. It was put onto playlists. Um, The fans would sing it live, but it was probably because it was the only song with like this big chorus like that. Um, in a more rock kind of song. Now it's still very Browning. There were still uh, electronics the whole time, but I just felt like the fans didn't care. Like the fact that Skybreaker, the softest song on the record, the last song on the record, there was no music video. There was no nothing. That song is the second most popular Browning song. And it didn't have to go rock. Didn't have to try to be radio or anything like that. And carnage is number one, the fastest, heaviest thing. And so still right now I'm looking back at my roots of what my initial plan with the Browning was. People want it fast. People want it heavy and people want it catchy. And so that's what I'm doing. And that's what I started doing on burn this world anyways. And so I really have stayed true to the sound. I haven't done a bunch of changeups. I think it's a huge issue um, when bands uh, change their sound from album to album. And there's there's one band that I think has done it properly, and that is Bring Me the Horizon. Um, but they did it over the course of like three albums. They started adding in some stuff, and like over the course of three albums, they got lighter but still heavy, lighter but still heavy, and then they you know they got to where they are now, where they're even getting back to being heavy, but they're pretty poppy. Um, and I mean, personally, I'm not a huge fan of the current stuff they're doing, but I can appreciate the fact that they slowly worked their fans into their current sound. And so with the Browning, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to transition the sound. I'm going to stay true exactly what it is. If I want to do a project, that's a totally different sound. I'm just going to do a different project. That's my plan. And so, yeah, staying true to my sound. I think that's a good thing that I've done. I've always stuck by it. And so, yeah. And, uh, so let's get into the next thing. We're going to go bad, good, bad, good, back and forth. So this next one is a bad one. And so then since we're kind of talking about the early stages of the career, we can talk about this. 
not paying enough attention to contracts. The <laughs> I know that everyone's like, well, duh, you should pay attention to the contracts. Well, yeah, tell that to a you know nineteen year old that is just trying to make it. You know, <laughs> I mean, a nineteen year old with no money at that. Uh, it was just the first contract we signed. Obviously, freaking booty dust, horrible horrible contract but that's what these people do it's their job is to prey on people that don't pay attention and that have dreams that they chase after now if i just would have they say oh you're supposed to hire a lawyer and do all this and blah 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 it's like how are you supposed to do that though like i didn't come from money i didn't have money and we were just trusting the fact that these people were giving us some sort of deal and i don't know why you would do that pretty naive looking back you know that was more than a decade ago but, um, I mean, but even up until my last contract, I was again put into a situation where I felt like I had no options in the sense. And I, again, had my current contract that I'm even still on. I was kind of oblivious to a lot of the freaking crap in it. And, and so like, definitely, I don't know how you can come up with the money if you just don't have it. Like that's, that's not an excuse that, um, like I think is invalid to say, well, I don't have money for a lawyer. Well, maybe I could have just Googled some stuff, you know, what is like, where's the scams in the, in music contracts. And I'm sure I could find freaking 50 articles about don't put this in your contract. Don't put this in your contract. You know, like essentially don't let the people have any money from your live shows. Don't let the people, um, you know, own any percentage of your merchandise that kind of crap now i don't that's not in my current deal but in the first contract there was crap in there that was kind of about that but my got with managers quickly after and they nixed that in the butt but still uh one big thing that i didn't particularly realize and i don't think anyone realizes is how these contracts can tie you in for absolutely ever you say, well, of course, but really, even even 12 years ago, I think it was kind of, uh, I don't know, up in the air about stuff like that. And I just think that if I could have just done some research or if I would have just paid a little more attention, then I wouldn't be in uh, or wouldn't have gone through as much struggle as I did for certain things. Um, and. But I, I do also appreciate the fact that I just had to go for it. You know, I, if I would have tried, this is what we felt like at the time. If that we tried to negotiate the contract that they just would have pulled out and then we wouldn't have gotten anything. Right. That was a big concern. We were just like, F it. We need to just take it as is so that we can get it done and not have them bail. But I don't know. In the modern world, labels are way less important than they were back then. Labels were very important 12 years ago because they fronted the money for recordings, fronted the money for CDs, fronted the money for all this kind of crap. But now in the modern world, everyone can record themselves and no one needs CDs. So it's like today, a label is kind of irrelevant. Uh, I could go unsigned right now and my career would only get better, honestly. Um, but Back then, it felt completely necessary, and it was way more necessary. And so, I don't know. I felt cornered being younger and doing this contract. I had no money, and I felt like I had to do it or else I wouldn't have a chance. And who knows? Like, maybe I wouldn't have. Maybe I would have. 
Um, but it felt too good to be true at the time. And so we just did it. And I really wish I'd have paid more con- more attention. And even today, so then let's skip forward to me having a little bit more knowledge in, in, the, in the music industry, you know, five years later or whatever it was, I went to sign my second record deal. And again, I was in a position where like we needed money to do records. I was out of the last contract with the other label. I had to go through a whole court system to get out of the other contract. And, uh, you know, we needed money to do a record and we needed someone to put it out. And I was just in another position where I felt rushed to get into another contract. And at the time I had managers, the managers were friends with the label. And so I was just like, get us a good deal. Let's do it. Right. And (laughs) here I am, however many years later, wishing that I would have just freaking paid attention but then again, even if I would have paid attention to what was in the deal, my managers would have told me it was the best idea anyways, and then I would have signed it anyways. So it's like that was me putting too much trust into uh, someone else's opinion. Basically, my current issue is being tied in for so long on the same exact deal. Uh, you know, that was seven years ago or something, and the industry has changed completely. And I'm currently in a deal that is completely irrelevant to me, to the band's needs. And to the music industry as a whole. And so that is my current issue with my current deal. Um, and, you know, who would have known that CDs would have became completely irrelevant? Who would have known that I would have money and I don't need it in advance? Who would have known that streaming was the only source of income, essentially? <laughs> and so it's just uh, the industry does change. And I guess my biggest thing with contracts with people that I'm going to tell you, make sure you're not tied in forever. And make sure you're also not tied in for too long. Like they say, oh, this is a three album deal plus three extra if we choose to. Like, okay, that's freaking two years per album cycle. That's 12 years of your life gone. The music industry changes so much in 12 years that you don't know. Even if I signed a contract today, I don't know that 12 years later, the environment's going to be exactly as it is right now. So maybe do some shorter contracts so you can adjust in the modern world and you're not stuck in deals that don't make sense for your band's needs and the industry's demands. You definitely should be playing shorter games whenever it comes to that kind of stuff. So that's my biggest regret as far as contracts is not paying attention to how long I could be tied into something like that. And yeah, that is uh, the second bad. Definitely pay attention to your contracts. If you don't, if you can't afford a lawyer, then uh, do some research on your own. There's some obvious stuff in those contracts that you definitely don't want in there. And um, yeah, let's get into the next good thing. And um, I guess this can kind of go into that and to the last thing. The next good thing I did was a lot of really hard work. Like it was a grind. I've committed myself to this. And one thing I told myself early on and through like the first label bull crap through dropping booking agents through all this kind of stuff was I was not going to stop doing the browning until I felt that it had its full shot and full potential reached. I kept feeling like every industry person I was working with wasn't taking me as far as it could. And so it was me, this driving force, driving this thing along and dragging it along for all these years. And it was a lot of freaking hard work. Um, Just 
not only living out of a van essentially, and that's for everyone that was in the in the touring band, living out of a van, grinding for essentially no money. Um, but then also all the behind the scenes stuff. Like one thing that I really wanted to focus on with the band, I didn't want anyone that played on tour to have to worry about Jack Squat behind the scenes besides just getting up on stage and chilling, you know? And so I always handled stuff behind the scenes and I always made sure monetarily that the band was self-efficient and could pay for itself um, as it went along. And all of that was a lot of hard work and a lot of sacrifice on my end. And I do think this is a, this is a good thing that I did definitely um, was just not giving up until I felt that I had its full potential. And to be honest, I still feel like, the band has not gotten its full shot that had a whole team working behind it that could elevate it to where I feel that it could be. And maybe I'll always be unsatisfied. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it's, uh, but maybe not. I, I think that the full potential of the Browning is unknown. Like, what do I want? Do I want to be drawing 2000 people a night or do I want to just put out music that people can play video games to? I don't know. But I, I feel unsatisfied. Um, and so the hard work that we've had to put in of just making things work, no matter how little money there was, no matter how shot the weather conditions were on tour, no matter how broke I was in between tours and have to just figure out how to make it work. I've always absolutely made everything work with this band. It's There's never been a lack of effort on my end. Um, to make the band move forward and make progress um, and made a lot of sacrifices to do so. So just for all you band dudes out there, it's going to be a lot of work and it's going to be very difficult, but you got to push through until you feel satisfied in what you've done. That's my, one of my biggest tips is like do it until you feel good or do it at least until you feel like you've accomplished your goal. Um, and I, I guess my biggest goal with the Browning, and I, and I have said this for a long time, I just want to be to have um, the recognition from people of this band wanted to do something different and did that until they were successful, right? And the Browning is very successful uh, in the grand scheme of it. The Browning is very, very successful. But um, I just want to push the the boundaries of music and of metal and have, um, I guess a big recognition for that. I mean, I, I don't, I don't need someone to pat me on the back or something, but just, you know, it, it would feel good to be like metal metal scene in general looks at the Browning and says, wow, good job. You did it, you know, <laughs> for being different and for working hard and grinding and just doing it and sticking to your guns. That's, that's what I would like. I guess that's my overall goal. And I'm going to work as hard as I can until I get there or I don't, <laughs> we'll see the, we have yet to know the outcome of this, uh, of this story. And so, yeah, hard work y'all. It, it's going to take a lot of hard work and a lot of determination. And I, I feel like I still have that very determined attitude. Uh, and so, yeah, and uh, speaking of stuff that I was just talking about in that one, this is the next bad thing that I've done. Uh, and that is never saved money. The huge. <laughs> I I think that 
over the past two years, um, since everything started uh, with the pandemic, I I finally for once started a company that would allow me to be um, more comfortable monetarily outside of being creative. So I was pretty monetarily comfortable for pretty much, a, uh, I don't know, like six years, seven years because I was streaming full time on Twitch. I was doing a lot of really cool stuff on the side to make money. Like I was comfortable. Um, but all the money that I made was just to go back into the band. I invested everything back into the band. I was, you know, I bought lights with my own money. I was paying for flights with my own money. I was paying for everything with my own money. And all the money that was made on tour went back into the touring machine that the Browning was. It was just non-freaking-stop. And um, like I said, I didn't want anyone in the band to ever have to put up any money for anything. So I was doing it all myself. Like, we did a tour in China and like I paid for all that crap. Like imagine paying for essentially a three week long vacation for everyone in your band, you know, four different people throughout China. Like I was paying for that stuff for, with my own money. And so I, I essentially funded everything and I never saved money after the fact. So I, I just always assumed I'm going to be a broke musician that just gets by and just is able to live life comfortably, but on the edge. <laughs> and then uh, the pandemic happened and it was like, boom, you're past the edge. There's, there's an issue here. Um, and that was that whenever the tour canceled, I, I would basically spend my money and then we would go on tour and I'd get a batch of money that I could use to invest back into the band and live on until the next tour, that sort of thing. Um well, when that tour canceled, I lost all my upfront uh, investments for the tour and I lost all the profit for after the tour. And so I was just absolutely screwed. It put me in a position where like, yo, I'm I'm not just going to be a broke musician forever. Like I'm about to be homeless <laughs> because I I had all my eggs in one basket. You can't do that. That's like a... a, a whatever century old not a century just forever old saying for a reason don't put all your eggs in one basket all my eggs have always been in the creative world basket um i was at a point in my life where i, I wasn't streaming on twitch because you know i was starting a family and i was doing all this and i was just full focus on the band and family stuff so um the band was my always my uh fallback the thing that i could always go back to to be able to sustain and I never saved money after that. Like in hindsight, I wish every single tour that I ever did that I could take, let's say a hundred dollars, even $200, some small amount of money that if throughout the tour, I just put, you know, $20 a day into a savings account, I'd be, I'd, I would, that would be my back, my like fallback that if something freaking happened, it, I would have something there. I never, ever did that or pay into, uh, even like a retirement thing. That's not that expensive to start up something and pay the slowly into that. I've never invested money personally. I've always invested it into the band. And um, so that's a, a huge thing. And so now that I, I have started a successful company and have money outside of music, I'm like, holy crap. Like maybe people should put off doing the band thing for a few years. Like don't start it when you're 18 and so that you never build up any money, never build up a career outside of it. 
Um, maybe put it off to your like 25 or something so that you can actually like make money outside of the band and then do the band and be totally stress-free about money. Like, cause now that I, now that I make money, uh, good money outside of the band, it's just, it makes me more excited to do the band stuff because I'm going to be financially stable and the band isn't going to be, I'm not going to be stressed about making money with the band to keep it going. I can invest investing in stuff personally, but I can also invest my personal money into the band rather than band money into the band. Save some money. Make sure you have a good stable job outside of the band. And because in metalcore, you're not going to be able to have five people living off of metalcore money unless if you have a huge break. Um, so have a really good job outside of it. It can be, it doesn't need to be, you know, being a plumber or something, or it could be being a plumber, but try to have something in the creative realm that you can work while you're on tour. So you can tour full time and work full time. That's like perfect setup. And so it's uh, I never saved money. I never put money aside. Do even a, a freaking minimal amount. We used to tour freaking. <laughs> now the thing is, even when we were touring tw- 10 months a year, you know, I mean, the money was freaking, you know, low. It was, it was low money. It was just barely getting by so much. So I used to not even pay myself or the band members every day for food. We would all walk into a freaking McDonald's or Taco Bell, say each person gets $2 menu items. (laughs) That was the food. And we do that twice a day. So basically $4 a day per person is what I could afford to do on tour for years. That it was like that. Um, And that's just how it was. And I don't know. I, so maybe back then I couldn't have realistically saved $20 a day into a bank account or something, but really there was a good few years there that I, that I could have started putting money to the side um, like that. I would put money to a savings for the band, but not for myself. You got to take care of yourself, y'all. And you got to have money outside of the band. It's, it's necessary. And so, yeah, that, that is a big, bad, a big, big, bad Johnny <laughs> should have saved money, should have invested, should have, uh, I don't know, bought healthcare maybe once ever. No. Okay. Yeah. True. And so, yeah, just save your money. Y'all try to be smart, take care of yourselves. And so let's talk about the next good, which actually plays into exactly what I was just talking about. Look at that. I'm not even doing this on purpose for real. This is just a happenstance. I'm talking about this stuff. Um. This one is uh, a good touring environment, a good touring environment. Now, even though I just said that we are all living on the brink of starvation, (laughs) a good touring environment is huge. And uh, here's how it was still a good touring environment, even whenever we were just out there freaking starving. But first, before I get into this, I do have to say I'm doing a little mid roll here a mid-roll ad for those reviews that I was talking about. Again, if you guys are still here listening, I really appreciate it. We're in the middle of the episode. And I just want to say, whatever you're listening on, Spotify, whatever, click back onto my homepage for the podcast. Give a five-star review, please. It really helps out with the growth of this channel, reaching new people that have that don't know me, don't know the band. It just reaches a new audience of podcast listeners if there's a podcast with really good reviews. So, Go back, give a five-star review, and uh, I would really, really appreciate that, and it will really help the growth of the podcast itself. So, yeah, let's get back to it. So, good touring environment 
even though everyone got $4 a day technically for food. <laughs> it's, um, it's a tough thing. Touring is freaking really stressful, right? And I'm sure that if somehow someone that was in the band listened to me say that, they're like, good touring environment, <laughs> and like laugh and think whatever. But realistically, in the grand scheme of bands, we've toured with a lot of bands. And I'll tell you what, whenever you tour with a band that has two brothers in the band and they're fist fighting each other, I would say that, yes, the Browning has a pretty good touring environment. <laughs> it's um, It was always my focus that everyone in the band is just as stress-free as possible, just gets their stuff done, and really, um, you know, we're out there roughing it. And so all this extra stuff, I, I'm... The band has had a lot of people in it. They've had a the band has had a lot of touring members. And it's because whenever someone would start adding too much drama, it would start adding too much stress on anyone else in the band. They'd be gone. I just, I can't deal with it. I don't think anyone should deal with it. And everyone should be in as much of a good headspace as possible. And so that was always a big focus for me. And I would always try my best to make sure that we were as comfortable as possible, whether it was like trying to get hotels when we could or starting to, instead of buying a van, I would rent a van so that it would be nicer and cleaner and like we could run it overnight <laughs> with AC so we could stay cool in the summer or whatever. I was always trying to make sure that we were just like chill and had a good environment. Like we, obviously everyone gets into scuffles gets in not scuffles we didn't no one ever fought in the browning but arguments and disagreements or whatever but really overall touring with the browning was is chill laid back kind of just lay back and do our own thing and you know play video games on our phones or whatever it might be it's it's always been good and fun and uh i i'm really proud of that the fact that it's been like that. And I'm, I'm proud that I took steps at time to get people out that were making it not a good environment. The second, like some, there's a couple people that lasted a little longer than they should have. Honestly, I'm not going to throw any names out there, but, um, definitely number one, super important. That's so many bands break up and so many bands have just horrible times, um, because someone in the band is selfish and has these extra requirements that throws everyone else under the bus or someone's a freaking drunk and uh, can't control themselves and, you know, starts fights or has random people around that are stealing crap. Like there's just so many things like so if, if you're a band and you're thinking about going on tour and um, there's someone in your band that's like a violent alcoholic, <laughs> you might want to have a conversation about hey um if if you don't want to stop being a violent alcoholic uh, you probably can't tour with us you know <laughs> it's an issue if it it just has to be a good environment everyone has to get along and have the same goal which is be stress free get to the next venue play a good show and then go to sleep <laughs> and then repeat that's just like that should be the goal right there and I, I really am proud that the browning has pretty much always had that and so yeah good touring environment as good as can be and and yeah if the, if somehow anyone in the browning 
has is listening to this and they're like laughing about that, be realistic. Look at some of the situations we've, some of the bands that we've been around, um, and the crap that they go through having to put other people on a separate vehicle because they can't get along or all this stuff. Like we really have had it really good. And, and I am pr- very proud of that. And, um, okay, let's go into the last bad thing. The last thing that I really regret. Actually, instead of the band name, I'm going to switch this one to being my number one regret. Big time regret. (laughs) At least now. The band name's kind of been a regret like my whole career. This one has just recently turned, like the past like, I don't know, year has turned into like my biggest regret of my career. And that was not focusing on social media enough. Um, I, I always focused on the Browning's social media. And yes, you should you should build your band's social media as much as possible, right? But it is very important to build the individual peoples in that band's social medias as well. I went like freaking two years in in the middle of the band's career without posting on Instagram once. And it just so happened to be that was when everyone was spiking in numbers. <laughs> I just didn't care. Like I would post about band stuff and but I just didn't care to sit there and take pictures of myself and post them. Even if it was like live photos, I could have just easily once a week posted a live photo of, of me on stage. Like that would have kept everything fine. Done the freaking hashtags, done that kind of stuff. I just, I didn't care enough to stay up with my own personal social medias and grow them because that's just as much a part of your band as, as the band's profile because your fans are following you there and, in the modern world, people want to feel connected to the people, the artists that they like. And they don't feel as connected to the band's profile, but they do feel connected to the individual people in the band's profile. So, like, you'll see, like, Chris Motionless, like, his pro, his Instagrams and stuff, They that's way bigger than Motionless's Insta. Maybe not by followers, but just overall interaction. Like... The there are people in bands that have a bigger following than the band itself on social platforms. And just with how much stuff I've tried starting with like company wise, business wise, all this other stuff, if I would have focused on my own personal profiles this whole time, then all my other stuff benefits and the band benefits. All of it benefits if you focus on your on social medias. And um, because I don't know, I don't think banned social media accounts are as important, honestly, as the individual members of the band's social medias. I think those are more important because it connects on a personal level with them. And so I'm sitting here with like, not that followers really matter, but just as far as numbers go, the amount of people you can actually uh, reach. Like I'm sitting with like 4,500 followers on Instagram, not even verified where I'm verified on everything else. And Instagram is the most important platform now, by the way, I'm sitting with like 4,500 followers where people in bands similar size to mine have like 80,000. They, they do a post about a new album and it gets, you know, 10,000 likes. If I did that, it would get like 1000. So it's like, I'm missing out on a lot of promotion on my personal page because I didn't care about it. Like you have to, and you are part of the brand. You are part of the marketing. It's just, 
I big time regret not focusing on my own post personal social medias. The Browning stuff does fine. Uh, it could have been a little more focused there as well, but um, just now I'm realizing how much more important the individual members are. So if you're in a band, do the stuff, do the hashtags, post the reels, post the videos, connect with your fans on a personal level on social medias and, and grow those numbers because it's all marketing. It all goes into how your band is perceived, you know? And so like, cause even from a fan perspective, like the Browning draws really good numbers live. Like we have a lot of really good, um, like when we headline, we have a lot of people coming to the shows. Um, but if some random person that didn't know the Browning randomly stumbles across, uh, like my profile, be like, Oh, this is the singer of the Browning. He's not even verified. Oh, his post only gets, you know, 200 likes, but then they'll click over to a band that draws less, but the singer has a lot of follows. They'd be like, well, look, people care way more about this dude, you know, which I mean, realistically on the internet. Yeah, they do. That's just how it is. And so that band automatically seems perceived bigger, which is a important thing to be, have this bigger perception of yourself. Um, Whereas the Browning would draw more live, more people will go see the Browning live than that band. But just from the online marketing, it's huge. You have to focus on that. Number one important thing, realistically, uh, in the modern world. And so, yeah, that brings us to the last good thing. And uh, the thing is, uh, there's there's a lot of good things. I've had a very good career. Um, I feel like I've been a really good person throughout my career. I, I haven't taken advantage of anybody. I, you know, I've always been as nice as possible on tour to my band members and also to other bands. I have a lot of good friends. I've made a lot of good friends, um, people that I can go hang out with today and still have a good time. Um, and I would say, I don't know, I, I probably didn't list off all the good things. I probably haven't listed off all the bad things, but, um, just with this, maybe we'll do another episode of this where I deep dive certain things like about touring specifically or writing albums specifically or whatever. But the last good thing I'm going to be talking about today is being self-sufficient, self-sufficient, self-efficient. <laughs> I don't know. Doing as much stuff myself as possible, I think is very important as, as someone that's running a band. Um, even from getting this going, I started this when I was 14 as a solo project I've always written the majority of the music and uh, I would say realistically in the grand scheme of the band, I've probably written 95% of the music and you can ask anyone in the band and they would agree with you. And if you've watched my live streams for the past six years, for the past two albums, you would also see that, yes, I'm writing as much of the music and all the music that is there. Um, but I not only just from the music aspect, I think that is a huge thing because that is probably the biggest factor of why the sound has stayed so consistent. Um, but also just because through all the changes, like say the guitarist that was in the band was a huge aspect to the sound and, you know, they had a very particular style and then I have to kick them out because they turn into a violent drunk on tour. <laughs> Well, then you're freaking screwed. Like, what are you going to do? Find another guitarist that has that person's unique style? No, you can't. And so the fact that, like, the guitar parts that have been written for the past 12 years were written by me, it has kept that same style this entire time. And so being self-sufficient on the writing aspect is a huge thing as to um, 
a huge benefit because I can interchange members and the sound's going to stay consistent. And also just the fact of in the, especially in the modern world, saving money. Um, you don't have to go to a studio and pay $30,000 to go to a studio. If you can sit there and record the whole thing on your $3,000 iMac, it's really important in the modern world. You can get on YouTube and learn how to produce a freaking a perfect sounding record off of YouTube with like a thousand dollar computer. You can do it. I was before this last album, I was working on a Mac mini for, you know, three albums. It was a $1,200 Mac mini, the same one is <laughs> horrible, but it made it work. And, um, so being self-sufficient, not only on the writing aspect, but also the production aspect, I think is huge in the modern world. Um, I was even just talking to a band, um, that I really like their stuff. The music does sound really, really good, but for them to get a whole, to get one song from start to finish done, cost them $800. Like that's an entire, that's a 100 shirt merch order that they could have, <clears throat> that $800 could have gone into getting a hundred shirts that they could have made, you know, uh, $2,000 off of. And, but instead it had to go to making one song, you know, and so if you invest that same amount of money, say say you're doing a EP that is uh, seven songs at $800 a song, that's $4,500. What if you took that $4,500, you bought a $3,000 computer, and then you bought <clears throat> all the gear and software that you need to just learn how to do it yourself? Guess what? You're never going to have that investment again. You're You don't have to pay anyone else. You're, you can spend as much time on your music as you possibly want, and you're learning a skill that can also make you money because now you can record bands. Be self-efficient on your songwriting and your music production. You have to in the modern world. Um, if you're spending money going to a studio, you got to figure that out. It's a waste of money. Unless if like, <laughs> like you can figure it out yourself, you really can. I don't want to say it's a waste of money, um, but you could be spending that money making more money, you know, uh, especially with how little music play like pays nowadays, like to make $800 back on a song recording is going to be pretty difficult for a small band. Um, and then even just from a label perspective, it's hard to invest a ton of money into a band that has to spend $20,000 in the recording studio. If you're a band that's trying to get signed and you're talking to the label and you say, no, I don't need a recording budget at all. I'll do it myself. So we can spend that budget on music videos, on this, on all on photos, spend it on stuff that um, like you can't necessarily do yourself. And so it's just really important to be self-sufficient on that. But not only just with the music being self-sufficient, but also with the behind the scenes stuff, I've, I have at times like really wanted to give control to someone to say, please just freaking manage this and make it to where it works. And I've tried that a few times and I freaking have regretted it every single time. And so beyond those few times I've given a, a manager or whoever control, um, I've been very much hands-on with all the stuff in it and uh, the behind the scenes stuff. And that is really something that has kept the ball rolling and kept the band advancing because I was always hands-on with the decision-making of what was going on. 
And so just even being involved on that level has really saved the band. If I put it fully into someone else's hands, like we'd have been broken up a freaking long time ago. But the fact that I did stay stay in there at least enough uh, through the hard times and through the bad decisions with some managers, it really did allow the band to keep going. And so be involved in the behind the scenes. Don't give someone too much control. I've done it twice now that I can think of. Regret it big time both times. And so uh, just be involved with the band on all aspects as much as possible. Merch designs, you know, contracts, uh, booking your tours, deciding where you're going, like all this kind of stuff. Just be as self-efficient and also just like design too. That's something I did early on. I did a lot of design work for the Browning and it also taught me. And now I'm doing design work for other people and all this kind of stuff. It's just if you're self-efficient for your own music, then you can apply it into working for other people and then you can just save yourself money in the long run. It's super important. And so that's, that's the last good thing that I really felt like I did. And today I'm super confident in all my abilities and stuff that bands need that I, I help out a lot of people with stuff. And I do think it's just really important to have, have those abilities locked in for yourself. So you don't have to rely on anyone and uh, whatnot. And so, yeah, this is a, a bit of a different episode, but it's always good to be introspective on this and try to help bands and people learn from your own mistakes. And so, yeah, I'm glad I sat here and talked about it. Now I feel like there's a million other things I could talk about. Um, but I appreciate you being here listening. And one last time, uh, this is my call to action. The last one, leave a review. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or iTunes or whatever, leave a five-star review. It really helps out. And again, we'll see you on the next podcast. We're uploading every Monday and Wednesday uh, right now, probably more in the future. But uh, yeah, I appreciate you being here, and we'll see you in the next one. Peace out. Peace out.